Hello and welcome to That Film Stew. I'm Lou. And I'm Jason. In this episode, we've got another movie review, and this time we're looking at The New Mutants. Directed by Josh Boone, The New Mutants is the 13th and final installment in the X-Men film series, a horror superhero film based on the Marvel Comics team of the same name. The New Mutants is finally in cinemas now, so if you haven't watched the film yet but you want to, go watch it first before listening to our full review. We will be talking spoilers. Originally pitched as a potential film trilogy, things were delayed and changed as Disney began the process of acquiring production company 20th Century Fox. After facing many delays from its original April 2018 date, including being affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, The New Mutants finally got its theatrical release in 2020. Jason, you have the plot. Five teenage mutants, Mirage, Wolfsbane, Cannonball, Sunspot and Magic, undergo treatments at a secret institution that will cure them of their dangerous powers. Invited by Dr. Cecilia Reyes to share their stories, their memories soon turn into terrifying realities as they start to question why they're being held and who's trying to destroy them. The movie that people were saying was cursed. Would we ever get it? (laughs) The fact that we are reviewing this from watching it on the big screen, I'm shocked. I'm pleased. I honestly did not think this was going to end up getting a theatrical release. I mean, I think it was announced or went into production or some, I don't know, about five years ago. It was pretty much ready to go before like some reshoots and stuff two years ago or something. Or did the reshoots even happen? I don't apparently, know. It's not apparently not. Director Josh Boone has said, no, the movie we got to see, the movie we're here to review is the one they had years ago. Here it is. It was about time. Oh, my God. Um, This is, I guess, is the true final film in the X-Men franchise. I mean, I think we both called Dark Phoenix the final X-Men film, which, in a way, it really was the final X-Men film. It still is. No, it it is still the final X-Men film, Dark Phoenix. This is something that's just been lost in time, that it was supposed to line up with X-Men Apocalypse, which was before Dark Phoenix. So for me... X-Men did finish with Dark Phoenix. Yeah. This is just, I don't know. It's just there, isn't it? Like a just, weird spin-off attempt epilogue that we get. Like, it's, it's, it got, it's no more. It's, it got left behind. You know, I was talking to somebody at my work, and he watches and likes the X-Men movies and had no idea that New Mutants had anything to do with those movies. And the marketing isn't really going out of its way to tell you it's an X-Men film. I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, you see the flicker of like the, the Marvel banner in, in the trailers and the 20th Century Fox. I mean, I guess if you know, you know. If you know Mutants is purely an X-Men thing in the Marvel world. Like, yeah, that's, 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 that's a fair assumption to not know, I guess. Like, but, although, like, I was surprised how how much if the X-Men universe actually really revolved around this movie. Um, I thought it was just going to be, you know, set in the universe, obviously with characters that you know are from the X-Men comics, but not actually related to the X-Men and other elements that you've seen in the film. But there was, there was quite a bit. It does make sense because within this world, the X-Men are superstars. Like there's some of the most famous mutants on the planet. And then the teenagers would find out in this movie 
they're led to believe or they believe themselves that the reason they're at the hospital in the first place is because of Xavier. So, you know, and the character Magic, Ilana, like it's never called out in this film, but she's the younger sister of Colossus, who is a very famous X-Man. Oh, wow. Never mentioned it. no idea. I got no idea. <laughs> so like with, with me and this, with these, um, um, with this title, the New Mutants, like I'm not familiar with them. Even like the expanded X-Men universe, I'm not fully engraved in. There's so many characters within that fold that I'm, I'm just like, sure. That's why it's exciting seeing something like this because I'm like, oh, cool, new characters that I get to sort of meet essentially for the first time. So I've got no reference material. I don't know who these characters are. So I just jumped in there. So I, nothing to compare it to. <laughs> okay, I do know the characters, but the the era of comics, like with Demon Bear, that this movie is heavily influenced by, I didn't read that era. So I came to X Factor later with the Peter David run. And what he was doing, it was more like X Factor. You had the character Madrox who could duplicate himself. I think he was in the X-Men movie. Which one was it? The third one, The Last Stand. So he can duplicate himself and he had a private investigator agency and the series kind of revolved around that. But the, a lot of the characters we see in this movie did feature in that comic. So like Wolf Spain, Magic, a lot of those characters I was already familiar with. A character in this you would have seen before, I think it's a different actor though, but Sunspot, he was in X-Men Days of Future Past. Yeah, you know, when the yeah. movie started in the future, that character okay, first yeah. appeared there. So you're right, though. There is connections to, to X-Men, but we're following but I mean, more they... obscure characters. But I mean, they, I mean, like you said, like they call out the X-Men as, you know, something they're like, oh, are they training us to be X-Men? You know, you know what's going on? And then, you know, later on, there's obviously a, a bigger reveal. Um, and I guess a connection to the Logan film as well, which is pretty exciting. But I suppose these characters, I mean, you, you know the reference, uh, you know, you know the reference material. Have they captured these characters or at least the ones that you're familiar with anyway? Yeah, I mean, they have. I, I would say they have. I mean, characters like Magic, I'm a lot more familiar with. Like she's a pretty strong character, is in interesting from the comics. And that definitely translates to this movie as well. She's for sure one of the more interesting characters in this movie if at some point during this movie we were told that we're no longer going to follow anybody else but only her i'd have been happy with that i guess as the, the you know like we we've got our main character in uh, mirage who's played by blue hunt but yeah um anya taylor joy's character magic is i guess gets the majority of the attention and i guess out of all the characterization which i with some of the characters i think they've slipped on they haven't really expanded on too much or you know delved into it, a lot of it ensemble cast i mean it, it's something expected but there was a little bit of juggling they had to do but i think yeah anya taylor joy had a bit more of a focus which i think is why you're probably getting that sort of feeling of yeah she's the most interesting the the one that and there's there is just an interesting story there as well. Like her backstory, I guess like the, the bit of the trauma that I guess she'd, she's been through and they really captured that and put that on screen pretty well. And the way that her powers manifest as well and the nature of her ability with the armored arm, the sword, she's able to go to the other realm. Yeah. Got that dragon. Really... 
Like, yes. <laughs> what is it? Lock? Is it Lockheed? Lockheed? Lockheed. Yes. In yeah. the comics, so Lockheed wasn't a puppet. Okay, so Lockheed originally, it's the purple dragon you see in this, but it, I'd say it belongs. It's it's the pet of Kitty Pride Shadowcat, and apparently. Right. There's a story arc where she gifts Ilana a Lockheed stuffed toy. Okay. So Kitty Pride usually has Lockheed as a pet slash friend. Right. We changed up a little bit here, but I was completely shocked when we actually got to see Lockheed in the other realm as a living creature. I thought it was cool. Like I it was, was just brilliant. Like, I was really surprised. I thought we were just going to get. I thought we were just going to get the puppet. It was going to be a nice nod yeah. to the comics, but no. It's but then they just more than that. I mean, yeah, with with magic's like powers, you know, like going into that realm thing, and then you seeing that little puppet come to life, essentially, like it just becomes like a little spyro looking dragon thing. I was just like, I'm all in on this. Like, um, like <laughs> it's 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 bonkers. But, it, you know, by that stage, I'm like, I'm having quite a fun ride that I'm eating all of this up. Like, this is yeah. this is cool. And they're fighting this giant bear. They like, made you wait, though. Yeah. They made you wait. And it felt like we waited, for me, I felt as though I waited a lot longer than I actually did to get to that moment. What well, felt I mean, like maybe, say, the first hour to get yeah. to that last final half an hour where it's, oh, wow, it, it feels like I'm watching an X-Men movie now. You've got the yeah. big spectacle, the the powers. But that first hour, it felt, I don't know, like two. This felt like an extremely long movie for me. Like, was it was it dragging for you? Like, was yes. that a, a that's detriment? what I mean. Yeah, yes, okay, no, so it was, it was a struggle. It was a long I, first hour. I mean, I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't feel that I was, I mean, I was engaged in the, in the uh, in I guess the the horror thriller element of this of this movie, and I guess it is it is sort of set up like that. And I've watched a lot of shitty horror films and stuff where there is just a lot of tension building, you know, like a build, a long suspenseful build, and then sometimes the payoff isn't worth it. And with this one, it's sort of like, hey, this could have just been a run of your mill sort of horror flick, you know, or not a very good one. Um, but you know what? Throw in superpowers as well these little superhero kids and then just, you know, have something crazy going at the end. Yeah, why not? Like, oh, I mean, it's fine. You know, it, it works. works. Yeah. It's all good. So I was happy to, to sit through the, the thrill. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, the horror elements weren't like intense where I was like, Oh, look, I'm spooked. I'm just like, Oh, you know, they're going through the tropes and yeah, they were having good. Some, you got, yeah, doing got fun some... things with superpowers as a horror element. And I was like, cool. Which is almost, is this the first? I mean, besides like that Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, and that was more more like body horror. But that that was more like hard sci-fi. This, I would say, is your first horror. We've had characters like Blade and Ghost Rider, but they didn't really feel like horror. So yeah, this one... Does in a way what you get is a haunted house. You get a haunted house in this. I mean, there's a reason for it, and I mean, I mean, I saw it coming. I saw the reason coming. Yes. Okay. Okay. So yes, it's a 90 minute movie, 93 maybe. You know, but it's pretty much an hour and a half. (laughs) Give or take (laughs) a couple of minutes over, but it felt a lot longer. That third act, the with Demon Bear, was really fun. 
there were interesting elements within that first hour. But you've said it yourself. We've got the character Mirage. Who do you think's responsible? The hospital was fine. <laughs> Until she got there. So you, you're there and you're just waiting for, ev- you're waiting for the film to catch up. But I don't know. I think I don't think the movie was really trying to play it as a big mystery. Like, I think, like a part of it, the filmmakers knew that we would know, and but it was sort of just like the steps we needed to go through. But it's so an I ensemble. Kind of, I kind of gave them a pass for it. It wasn't. It's a, it's a team movie, so we're waiting for the team to get together, and we know that the team can only get together when they're all on the same page. So you're right. I don't right. think we're trying to be tricks as an audience. You know, it's not supposed to be the usual suspects. We're supposed yeah. to be able to follow and know what's going on. It's just like we, like I don't think anyone was waiting for someone to pop out of the bushes and been like, "I've been here this whole time, and I've been, I'm a ghost from you know yesteryear and blah blah blah." It's like, nah, that like no one was thinking that was happening. We all knew that it was that it was Mirage. Like they weren't hiding it. It's it's fine. Let's talk about the Essex Corporation. The company was first referenced, I believe, at the end of X-Men Apocalypse. Yes. It was revealed that John Hamm had been cast as Nathaniel Essex, also known as Mr. Sinister. But more than that, apparently, he shot his scenes. For this movie? For this movie. Mm. And it's what they were looking to do, because this was like most movies nowadays, the start of a franchise. Yeah. And it was going to be building from the Essex Corporation. But of course, they had to reference it because the Doctor throughout the whole movie was wearing an Essex Corporation pin, which resembled the diamond that Mr. Sinister wears on his forehead. So we yeah. all knew, and we could see throughout the whole logo, because you're like, well, she's a wrong one, because she's got a, ban- a bad guy pin yeah. on her lab coat. Again, it's one of those things where it's like, if you're very unfamiliar with, you know, a bit of X-Men lore there, like you wouldn't know, but anyone else would just be like, okay, that's the, like, they're not hiding it. They're, it's very clear what's going on. And then you start seeing footage of like, I think it's even footage from Logan. It is. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You like see you the see... Kids, it's the same footage, which again, yeah. further cements itself as an actual X-Men movie, just there a movie is. out of time. So we were going to get Mr. Sinister as part of this trilogy, but in this movie, if things would have happened the way they should have happened, we'd have also seen James McAvoy as Xavier. They just left he all was that out. Written in there, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was in there, which would have made sense. I guess so when they were talking about him, maybe it would have just been on TV. I don't know. Wouldn't it have actually made more sense for Patrick Stewart to be if it was set? When was it like? Because if this was in line with... It would have been in line with Logan, right? Like, if we had... No, it was it was set around the time of Apocalypse. That's right. when this movie was going to be set. And then, when we watch it now, they don't specify when it is. But it was supposed okay. to be during the events of Apocalypse. Right. So when they put in the footage, like the Essex, the Essex footage, which is what we see in, in the Logan film, which is set in the the furthest in the oh, future. Oh, but that's confusing. How are they showing... This is yeah. supposed to take place during Apocalypse. Maybe they just did away with that when they no longer had the... Yeah, I feel, like, I feel like this is, was set more in line with 
I guess, Logan or maybe before Logan or a short sometime between. Like, oh, but then again, the, the footage was seeing Logan because he's does he see the kids or is it footage? It's been a while since I've seen Logan. I suppose that's footage. That as could well, just but be the old footage. I figure that was fairly recent though. But for me like, though, knowing the intent of this film is that it was supposed to take place <laughs> during the events of Apocalypse, in my mind, that's that's when it's set. But do I you guess... know what we're trying to do? We're trying to work out the X-Men timeline. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, they've, they've, chopped in, they've chopped and changed it. I think because of the location and the look of the hospital. It looks timely. Kind of it looks timely. Timeless, that's it, yeah. So it, yeah. you don't need to say when it is. So they've gone from intending for it to take place during Apocalypse to don't mention it. Nobody says. Do you know what it is? It's because we've got Charlie Heaton from Stranger Things. We just think this is like a set in the 80s or something. That's why we're confused. We don't know what's going on. <laughs> he's throwing He's throwing us all off. He had a bit to do in this. You know, he was involved Again, in the cave-in. He was a kid miner. Yeah. Well, not a kid miner. He was a teen. Uh, his, his backstory was very much like, here's a couple of flashbacks. You fill in the rest, audience. It's like, we don't know much. Yeah, but I think, to its credit... Like, Considering the runtime, I think they did just enough where they got yeah. to you got a little bit about everybody. Some I feel like I can paint a picture more of than others. Yeah. yeah, like I could describe each character. Um, but I mean, we already said you know magic is has the most interesting thing. Obviously, Mirage is our our lead, um, and then by design, Maisie Williams gets a whole lot of screen time as well just with the relationship between the two of them, which I found pretty interesting also. And yeah, following watching uh, Teen Wolf for the first time, her transformation into that like wolf girl, I was like, that's how you do it. No, no, I've told you before (laughs) off air, an American werewolf in London, that's that's how how you do it. it. They got it Uh, right. All those years They did it right. They did it right. It's decent here. Yeah, it, it is. Pretty good. But then, then they do cheat though, because when she turns into a, a full wolf, she's literally a wolf. At least Teen Wolf, they're a bit creative. They gave him a basketball and sunglasses. That's it. They had fun with it. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit different. But okay, so you you touched on it there. You've got the the relationship between Wolf Spain and Mirage. You know, we're, we're calling them by their superhero names. Something that they never do in the movie. Yeah, they really don't. I don't no, think they, they never do. do. It at all. Not once. But anyway, we can do it here. So Mirage is Danny. <laughs> yes. Which, you know what? Danny Moonstar, for me, is a better superhero name than Mirage. Well, you know how I was saying, I don't, I didn't know these characters. So, I, I mean, prepping this episode, I was like, who the hell, what, what are their names? Like, I legit didn't know. When watching this movie, I was like, oh, this, her, her X-Men, or her, her superhero name has got to be Moonstar, surely. And I was like, nope. no, nah, not even. Ridiculous. It's Mirage. Tells you exactly yeah. well, what she can do. I mean, it makes sense. That's her power set kind of but thing. Okay, but still, I was going to say, though, <laughs> let's get away from the names. Let's leave that. <laughs> We're talking about <laughs> the relationship between Mirage and Wolfsbane. Let's stick with the superhero names. Yeah, I thought it played... And again, like, this is the runtime. I know I keep mentioning it. It's the shortest runtime of any X-Men movie. But I thought the time that they had, it was believable that these two in this situation genuinely develop that relationship it didn't play like hey let's put lesbians in our superhero movie Mm. it it played out like a genuine relationship 
Yeah, like they were kind of like flirtatious at first and then they were just like tiptoeing around it, but then sort of like cautiously like, oh, I don't know, should I make a move? Should I, you know? I mean, and then at the end of the day, I think this, I mean, this X-Men film amongst any of the other ones is probably going for a younger, like teen audience to a degree. So I think they have those elements where you do get sort of like a, you know, there is a love story there and, you know, you got these teens sort of, dancing around that thing and then it's like oh well, you know they're gonna you know they're gonna kiss it's gonna be nice like cool so it works for knowing that it's like they're going for a younger audience which i think you know if you were to put this in say you know like an r-rated wolverine movie you'd be like oh it's corny as yeah so it fits we've talked a lot about the well we've talked a bit should i say about the the visuals and you know for the most part you know they look pretty good i think because it is for a lot of the time playing like a horror movie the effects remind me a little bit definitely like the latest um, it movie chapter two and then more of an advanced look at what we got in the nightmare on elm street films and there's certainly been a lot of comparison between uh, the look of this film and the nightmare on elm street three dream warriors but I think even when the effects are a little bit off, it works with the type of movie that this is being New Mutants and not X-Men. So I thought the visuals look pretty good. But that third act with Demon Bear and the look of that creature, I thought just looked fantastic. And I know a lot of it was at night and it's dark, but still, I thought the effects looked really good. I really like your comparison to Dream Warriors there. It's... um. Yeah, I think it pretty much like nails it in. Sort of, you got your horror, but you've also got like this these wacky things happening. Obviously, a lot of CGI is used to sort of create like these visuals, and it's sort of you know the the walls are bending and like there's hands coming out and there's freaky. Di- oh, the Buffy references! Must talk about the Buffy references. <laughs> oh, that's when I mean, we first saw. Well, the first lesbian kiss was on TV oh, watching Buffy. Yeah. I mean. I didn't know there was going to be actual clips of Buffy in this, but as the movie's ticking along, I mean, I've recently just done a real big watch of um, of the Buffy series. So the first time, actually, I've got to admit, um, properly, anyway. Uh, and yeah, I was like, man, I'm getting like real Buffy vibes, especially with, you know, like the, um, you know, the lesbian relationship that was, that was happening. And then you see that clip of Willow and what's her name? And I'm like, wow, okay, cool. There it is. It was like the movie was already in my mind. And then later on, you've got those those dudes walking around with like the big smiley faces. And I was like, man, that really reminds me of that one episode with those dudes walking around in Buffy with the big smiley faces. And then they showed that clip and I was like, well, at least this movie knows what it's ripping off. I love it. Like, it's great. It was. Yeah. But I would, I would say though, that the characters that we're seeing in new mutants, although changed slightly are based on, New Mutants characters that do predate Buffy. But you're right, though. The comparisons <laughs> are there. And the okay, rip-off was, was the wrong term. I should have used the word rip-off. But, um, yeah, the parallels, the comparisons. But as you say, and... they're, they're letting you know that they know what you're thinking. And it's like, wow, <laughs> this movie's in my head. You know, you... A little part of me doesn't like that, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Buffy there. Uh, last week, I went back and I also watched Buffy, only I watched the movie from the early 90s. That is a different experience. 
I'm going to ask you right here, right now. Are you doing a Sounds Like Comics episode on that? Like, why not? Oh, that's a good point. Potentially. Uh, be Well, I've done the homework. I've watched the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it'd be a lot quicker than watching, hey, maybe you should do a Sounds Like Comics on the TV series. That's a whole oh, other conversation. <laughs> it oh, would fair, be we'll fun to do Buffy in some capacity. Anyway, but let's get... <laughs> I've learned new mutants. <laughs> They showed us Buffy, and now we're talking about Buffy. They were talking about it. Before we get to the ratings, I feel as though at the end, whenever we start talking about a completely different property to the one that we're actually talking about, we're done. (laughs) I mentioned that this was a planned trilogy. The second instalment was to be an alien invasion movie featuring the alien mutant warlock, and then the third and final instalment was to be a supernatural apocalyptic horror movie based on the X-Men comic event Inferno. In the comic, demons invade the Earth and magic plays a major role. So no surprise there, seeing her in this film, you can see why Boone was intending on having magic play a much larger part when you get to that third installment. But that sounds fun. And they you know, sound really cool, don't they? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It it would have been nice, and we know why Disney, Fox, it was a whole thing. But if these, you know, the X Men movies that started all the way back in two thousand, if they were still going, and you had these big X Men movies, but also you had these smaller New Mutants movies, it's a good idea. Unfortunately, they only made this one movie. I mean, they're still, I mean, they're probably, it's very likely they're not going to do any more of them being under Disney. But do you know what? They could still utilize the fact that it comes under the uh, the 20th Century Studios banner, which again, the, uh, actually the first time we saw, we, we've seen the 20th Century Studios logo. Well, this the is the first film. film. Yeah, which is was very exciting. It was weird, but exciting. Um, and then the movie started. Um, but hey. they could they? I mean, it's just like it's it's what it is. Whatever. No, okay. It's not a big deal. It's not we a big. Say, deal. We've still got the Fox fan, fanfare. For me, that would have been well, the biggest crime. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, like I'm saying, they, they could still do it if they wanted to, but they probably won't. No, this is it. Like, th- <laughs> I think this is it. And on that. What is your rating? I look, I, I had fun with it. Like it's, I'm not, I can't say, sit here and say, you know, it's the greatest film or greatest comic book movie ever or anything close to it, but it was fun. You know, it's not a perfect movie. Um, pretty enjoyable though. Yeah. They, it, it turns it up in that third act, which is surprising because sometimes, you know, these movies usually, you know, drop the ball in their third act, but this just cranks it up. The characterization for a lot of the characters could have been a bit more, you know, maybe this movie would have benefited from another 20 minutes or so just so to flesh out a few more things. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a horror flick, essentially a very lighthearted, horror flick easy to digest um horror flick with superpowers again i had fun 3.5 out of 5 is what i'm going with i've said many times on this podcast that i found parts of it slow a whole hour but that third act the final half hour really 
did save this film for me. I had a lot of fun with that. And it's a shame that we're not going to get more of these. I really believe that we won't. But on the whole, like, it's, it's an interesting experiment to have a New Mutants movie as well as X-Men movies. Magic was a fantastic character. Um, you're right, maybe if it was a longer movie, they would have had more time to flesh out some more of the characters. But, you know, three out of five. It's, it's a good movie, and it's certainly, it's certainly worth watching. Now, as always, we're going to close out on some trivia. And I made sure that I picked trivia that wouldn't come up during the podcast. So a lot of the trivia <laughs> I'm looking at, oh, that's probably going to be a talking point. So this is what I found. Comic book artist Bill Sinkovich, who worked on the New Mutants comics, specifically the Demon Bear storyline that this film is based on, was brought in to provide artwork for the film's posters and closing credits. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah that's something. Cool. Where... Yeah. So I having... was almost about to mention that. I, without any detail, I was just going to say, hey, the artwork during the credits was pretty cool. <laughs> You'd have Lucky. ruined my trivia. <laughs> well, I mean, we got that instead of, I guess, a post-credit scene, which apparently there was one, but they decided to obviously not include it because there was nothing to tease. It could have been John Hamm. Could have been John I mean, Hamm. More than possibly, yeah. Maybe it will end up... Maybe it'll end up on the Blu-ray. Special yeah, <laughs> Teasing a movie that will never come. <laughs> well, that's it for our review of The New Mutants. Please go subscribe and download this podcast on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. And please leave us a review. It helps listeners just like you find the podcast. We're on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as that Film Street Podcast. We also have our companion shows, Rewind and Review, and Sounds Like Comics, which each have their own Facebook pages. And all our episodes can be found on our website, thatfilmstewpodcast.com. If you missed it, be sure to check out our recent review of Superman, Man of Tomorrow. Sounds Like Comics have an episode looking at the Green Hornet movie from 2011, and Rewind and Review went back to 1995 to revisit Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie. Oh, well done. You know what? (laughs) Of course I know it. I grew up on Power Rangers. (laughs) Some people don't. I'm just saying. (laughs) You've been listening to Luke and Jason, the guys from that film, Stu. See you soon.